What is the role of artificial intelligence in compliance? What about machine learning? Are you using chat GPT? These questions are but three of the many questions we will explore in this exciting new podcast series, Compliance and AI. Hosted by Tom Fox, the award-winning voice of compliance, this podcast will look at how AI will impact compliance programs into the next decade and beyond. If you want to find out why the future is now, join Tom Fox on this journey to the frontiers of compliance in compliance and AI. This podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I'm joined by podcast lawyer and expert Gordon Farmark to talk about the uses and misuses and legal implications of AI and chat GPT in podcasting. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and I'm thrilled to have back with me Gordon Firemark. Not only is Gordon Firemark the lawyer to the podcasting world, he's my lawyer. So can't get much better than that. Gordon, first of all, welcome back. Hi, Tom. It's great to be back. Gordon, there have been a couple of changes largely around AI and chat GPT that I've been wanting to visit with you about. You've got an upcoming presentation at PodFest, or excuse me, Podcast Movement 2023. So I thought maybe we could touch on that. But first of all, what developments have you seen around either AI or chat GPT for the podcaster? AI is exploding. It's the big hot topic of the day for the last, I don't know, five or six months now. And there's a lot of potential legal issues brewing in this area that's so new that it's hard to say exactly what we have to be really concerned about. But anytime you bring in new technology, it's disruptive. It's going to make people upset and change the way we do things. And in the podcasting arena, ChatGPT and the other AI tools are no different. Some of the things that are really troublesome that you have to think about as a podcaster is privacy. There's data privacy, of course. Where is Where are these machines getting their information? And do we know that it's entirely public information? Because you, as a publisher of information, if you use something that wasn't officially public, that somehow the AI got a hold of, you might be violating that person's privacy or exposing them to some kind of potential risk or harm or something like that. And so you, we need to be concerned about that. But also in just in the content side of it, being thoughtful and careful about what we reveal about the people we're talking about on our shows. Accuracy is a variant or related concept here because these AI machines, the technology, the coders and the computer scientists, they talk about the ability of these AI tools to what they call hallucinate which is essentially to make up answers to questions. So you've got to be sure that what you're getting from the AI is accurate. So you're going to do some fact checking or find yourself in some hot water. But more importantly, there are a couple of cases going on where OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT, are being sued by people about whom the machines have made false statements. And lots of weird questions about who's responsible. The machine was acting essentially on its own. But in one case, a journalist asked ChatGPT for a story, information about a particular company and the lawsuits that this company was facing. And the machine made up a person's role involved in some of those lawsuits. And the person with that actual name 
had nothing to actually do with the company in question. And so when the journalist went and contacted him, this person for a comment and verification, it came out that it was entirely fabricated. This, imagine the person's name is Tom Fox, and it talked about the time he was convicted of some horrible crime or something like that. So this person is now suing OpenAI, the makers of this machine, basically saying, hey, you knew this could happen, and that's a reckless disregard for truth and therefore defamatory. We get into questions about the right of publicity, people's right to their names and likenesses. And with the AI tools, the ability to make deep fake videos and audio is really, it's gotten very simple. I tried it out myself and I made a recording. I typed in, the, I pasted in the text of the Gettysburg Address and I had it recited in my voice. And it, I, my children did not know the difference. People who know you well might not be able to tell. So what does that mean about strangers? This is where we're going to see, maybe not in the podcasting space so much, but just generally in politics coming up, we've got an election cycle that's already underway. Are we going to see fakes of our politicians saying things that they didn't say, doing things that they didn't do? And the technology is getting ahead of us. Deceptive, misleading content could implicate Federal Trade Commission rules, other regulations about that at a state level, false advertising issues could come into play. And again, back to where we don't know where the information is actually coming from. What about attribution? What about you know, the intellectual property issues. Are we copying from lots of information out there? Handful of lawsuits. There was just another one filed by some authors recently who asked the AI, hey, can you summarize this book? And it made a perfect summary. How could it have done that if it didn't copy the content of the book into its database for training? So copyright issues. On the other side of the intellectual property, the, the courts and the copyright office have basically said that if it comes out of an AI, it's not copyrightable. It has to be human authored. And so if you are taking AI material and embellishing, adding to it, you have to be doing more than just technical edit in order to contribute enough creative original work to be entitled to copyright protection. So that's a sampling of some of the issues that are coming up. Are you getting additional questions from your clients or potential clients about fair use or things like that? Fair use has is, is also been developing in the law. We had a big copyright case decided in the United States Supreme Court back in, I want to say early June. The Andy Warhol Foundation versus Lynn Goldsmith, the photographer who had taken the photograph of Prince that then became the source material for Warhol's colorful, iconic images that are that were used on some magazine covers. And when the photographer said, hey, you used my stuff without permission, the Warhol Foundation said, that's fair use. And it winded its way through the courts. And the Supreme Court finally concluded, no, it really isn't. It's not transformative enough. And because it was the commercial nature of the use in question for a magazine cover, they said, no, Goldsmith has a valid copyright claim there. So fair use, that's a change. That That's an evolution of the I should say that's a reversal of a direction that fair use analysis had been going for several decades. So got to be a little careful about that. Not so much in the podcasting space. So using a piece of music is still infringing <laughs> no matter what we say. So those kinds of things. Yeah. 
in fair use, I've always focused on the commercial or non-commercial nature of the use. Is that still a valid analysis or do I need to look in a different arena? Well, or area? Yeah, that's one of the four factors. I'll just recite them quickly. The first is the nature of the alleged infringing use and what's it for. If that's commercial, that's going to, as this recent court ruling said, that's going to weigh against a finding of fair use. If it's more purely educational or instructional or commentary, informative news kind of things, then it, then you're more likely to be fair use. But the other factors are what's the nature of the original work uh, and was it a commercial versus an artistic work? The amount and substantiality of the portion that's been taken is still an important factor. And then the market impact on the original is the fourth factor. And again, in the Warhol case, the court seemed to be focusing on only the one first first prong that purpose and character of the infringing use and the court had already the lower courts had already decided those other factors in goldsmith's favor yeah it's a factor but it's not the only factor i guess that's the answer to your question Aiden, your discussion briefly around ai and chat gpt it strikes mm-hmm. me that uh there is no audit trail that we can look at with chat gpt would, would that be correct If there is, it isn't public. And I think that's what some of these court cases are really aiming at doing is getting into the discovery process to find out, hey, what all did these machines use to ingest as source material in order to learn? And there's also just a big question of, is that an infringing act just by going out and reading the whole internet? Is that copyright infringement, or is that what the internet's there for? (laughs) So yeah, we got lots of interesting puzzles to solve. Let me change the focus a little bit to sort of commercial questions. And we see articles of doom and gloom for creatives, whether that be graphic designers, whether that be copywriters, whether it be blog posters, whether it be authors, other than the gnashing of teeth that may go on naturally by creatives. Do you think that's a real concern or can AI and ChatGPT be incorporated into a creative's repertoire? I think the answer to the question is yes on both counts. I think that it is going to be a devastating new technology for the folks who don't adapt and pivot accordingly. For those who do, this is a tremendously powerful and effective tool as long as you treat it as a tool and don't rely entirely on it. There's always going to be room and a need for the human touch, the human intervention that somehow, I said with the voice thing, it was hard to tell, but again, it needed my input to tell it what to do in order to be that convincing. So I think that the answer for designers and creators of various kinds of content is if you don't change the way you do things. Yeah, this is going to be bad. But for those of us that view it as a tool and pivot and adapt accordingly, I think it's going to be a tremendously empowering tool. Just like Photoshop was 40 years ago, it gave us the power to retouch photographs in in seconds rather than hours. And photographers were upset about that at the time. So here we are. That's a great analogy. Let me change the focus to a social media post dialogue you shared with your Facebook community. So I came across it about creatives and receiving fair compensation for works that create, they create. And Mm -hmm. the specific context was around, I think a a public school that wanted to put on a play. Yeah. And you had a dialogue around why creatives were entitled to receive compensation 
from a play. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about that? And you were very, I don't want to say strident, but very passionate on your views. It stemmed from a blog post that I had written seven or eight years ago along the same lines, just saying, hey, if you're running a school theater program, you should expect to pay for the rights to the material that you're producing when you're producing it for the audiences to come and see. It's one thing in the classroom. There are exceptions in copyright law for the use of material in classroom instruction. But when you are now putting on a full presentation of the show for audiences and maybe you're charging for tickets and things, yeah, you should expect to pay. That's part of how the creative economy works. And my point in the article was, we need to be teaching the kids that are learning how to perform and about the art from the artistic side. They need to be understanding the business side of this as well, that there are realities here that the person who sat down and wrote that amazing play that you're enjoying performing, they need to make a living from their work too. And let's make the educational process a more full-throated approach to the art of theater, of the business of art, I guess I should say. So recently, somebody posted a comment on that blog post calling me what horrible, you're horrible, and then a screed against why I was so wrong and that schools don't have funding and that and the other thing. And I say, the problem isn't that the artists should get paid. The problem is that we don't put a value on this process in the first place and we should fund the arts appropriately so everybody who creates can get paid. And uh, yeah, so I, I had made a video responding to this accusation that I was horrible. And I stand by what I said. I think that if you create something of value, you should receive fair compensation for that. And if you use someone else's creative efforts and value without permission, that should be, there should be consequences for that. And of course, I'm a lawyer, so consequences is my business in a sense. <laughs> in addition to the primary argu the argument that you articulated, I guess what I appreciated was teaching, using it as a teachable moment for school kids about the entire artistic ecosystem. Yeah, And what we view in terms of a painting, what we view in terms of here and view in terms of a play or multimedia presentation, whatever it may be, certainly a creative did it. But there's, as you said, a compensation part if it's done for compensation. And so I guess the thing that struck me was thinking through it. We're teaching kids in a school and that's the whole purpose of education. Yeah. I'll say, if you don't mind me jumping on a little soapbox here, I say right now we are living in a world that is rife with these teaching moments. Just I'm just talking about relating to the arts in particular. We're seeing situations where school boards are telling the drama teachers what they can and can't, what plays their kids can and cannot read in school or, or perform on stage. And just because there's a mention of a lifestyle that's different from what we consider our norm, that shouldn't, that should just be off the table. And I think that what we're doing is sheltering our kids and, and really creating a false, a false perception of what the world is by not exposing them to these ideas. And ideas aren't what hurt people. Ideas aren't what set up problems in society. I think it's the unwillingness to attend to ideas, the antipathy <laughs> toward ideas that is the real problem. Ideas are a good thing and uh, restricting them is bad. That's my soapbox. So let's, let me close by asking, we're both planning to attend Podcast Movement this summer in Denver. Yes, and I know you are having a, a, have a panel or a part of a panel. Mm -hmm. Maybe give us a little uh, teaser on that. I and another podcasting attorney named Lindsey Bowen, who I consider a, a friendly competitor, I guess we could say. He and I are going to present together on 
we, ha we haven't figured out exactly the topic, but it's looking like it'll either be a contract teardown or a mock negotiation of a deal for creatives who are joining a platform or a network or something along those lines and uh, all of the common legal issues that uh, need to be negotiated and, and worked out in those kinds of deals. And Lindsay comes from a little bit more of a, a big corporate environment than I do. And I tend to be more art artist side negotiator. So it should be an interesting discussion and I'm looking forward to it. So we don't know exactly what day and time yet, but that's coming up in late August in Denver, Colorado. And for folks who are into the podcasting arena or, or even just like it, listening to podcasts, this is a wonderful conference where you get to meet the creators and the business folks and really see the inside of the industry. Podcastmovement.com is where you go to get tickets. We're going to link to that in the show notes as well. So Gordon, as always, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and visit with us. Oh, Tom, it's been great to be here. I love it. And I'll see you in August. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this inaugural episode of Compliance and AI. We're going to have a lot of fun with this series, so I hope you will subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and this podcast series. If you'd like to explore Compliance and AI on this podcast, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. If there are topics you'd like considered, you can email me those as well, and I'll do my best to get a podcast up answer your question or questions. Compliance and AI is a part of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network.